Well, good morning, community of grace. It is good to be worshiping and diving into God's word with you this morning. I just love the energy that those first couple of songs brought. When I learned that our summer sermon series was about the book of Proverbs and that I was on the preaching schedule, I knew pretty much immediately what topic the Lord had put on my heart, and that topic is parenting. And now the stakes are raised because my parents are in the room. (laughs) And a part of me has been dreading this day ever since then because the voice of doubt can be relentless. Isn't it cliche for the children's ministry director to talk about parenting. By the way, if you don't know who I am, I'm the children's ministry director. (laughs) My name's Britta. My husband actually tried to very delicately pose that question to me last week when I was talking about my sermon. So, you know, the voice of doubt is relentless. Or how about, well, you only have young kids. How can you possibly relate to parents with older kids or adult kids? And how are you going to make a sermon about parenting appeal to the non-parents in the room? And what could you possibly say that would be better or different or more interesting than the thousands of other parenting resources out there? And trust me, I've been combing through those thousands in preparation for our Parents of Grace group. So there's a lot out there on parenting. To further complicate matters, and if you've been following along, reading the book of Proverbs this summer, maybe you've noticed this, maybe it's just me because I was frustrated by it, but the book of Proverbs doesn't seem to say a whole lot about children and parenting. And when it does bring up children, what it says can pretty much be summed up with three statements. Number one, it's good to have a lot of kids. Number two, you should definitely discipline your kids. And number three, it would probably be good if your kids listened to their mother. (laughs) In spite of all of that, I believe that the Lord does have something for all of us to learn from his word this morning, parents and non-parents alike. So let's pray and let's ask him to speak. Heavenly Father, First of all, I thank you that we get to call you Father, and that you are a good, good Father. And I pray, Lord, that as we dive into your word this morning, that it would be your words speaking into the hearts and minds. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So over the course of this sermon series through the summer, I love the way that we've approached the difference between wise advice and the good news of the gospel. Because it is so tempting to read Proverbs as a checklist for right living. Do this thing, and you'll be blessed. Don't do this thing, and you'll be in trouble. It's full of statements that outline the rewards for those who are faithful and righteous and wise, followed by the consequences for those who are foolish. It's all too easy to misinterpret the wisdom of Proverbs and instead turn Proverbs into promises from God. And nowhere do I think this happens more often 
than with Proverbs 22.6. And I'm sure many of you could probably recite it with me. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is older, he will not depart from it. This verse is a staple in parenting books and children's ministry curriculums, of which I have looked at many. At the church I worked at previously, this verse was actually painted on the wall outside my office door. And when I first started working there, I thought very little of it, mainly because I was naive. In fact, at first glance, it seems like a very appropriate mission statement for anyone working with kids, whether you're a parent or a ministry worker or a teacher. Why wouldn't I want that in big, bold letters right outside my office? Well, the problem is that this statement was intended to be wise advice, but we often interpret it as a promise. It reads as an, if you do this and do it well, then this will happen kind of statement. And because it's found in the pages of scripture, we read it as if it's a promise from God. Well, what's the problem with that? What's the problem with this proverb being interpreted as a promise? It sounds like one. It sounds pretty good. And I would suggest that the proof of the problem is in the pain. By that I mean there are many, many parents who have clung to this single proverb as if it were a promise, only to watch their children grow up into prodigals. If there is one story that I hear over and over again working in children's ministry, I get a little emotional about it, it's from grandparents who are doing their absolute most to bring their grandchildren to church and to teach them about faith in Jesus because their adult children have either left the church, left their faith, or both. And every time I hear this proverb, it's the faces of those grandparents that show up in my mind because it must feel like a stab in the heart. And I imagine the internal dialogue, that voice of doubt that's so relentless, sounds a little bit like this. Where did I go wrong? Didn't I train them well enough? Why did they walk away? When God's word promised they wouldn't depart from their training. Did I not do enough to protect them from the influence of the world? Or, I thought I held up my end of the bargain, so why didn't you, God? Those are painful, gut-wrenching questions. And I'm sure that for some of us in the room, they are all too familiar. So what do we do with this proverb that has caused such guilt and shame and judgment for so many, whether they put it on themselves or other people put it on them? How do we look at this wise advice in light of the good news of the gospel? That's what I hope to start unpacking for us today. 
Now, most of the book of Proverbs is attributed to King Solomon, who was gifted with wisdom from God. And scripture also tells us that Solomon had hundreds of wives, but it only mentions three of his children. His son, Rehoboam, and two daughters, Tephath and Basemath. Given how many wives he had, I think it's pretty safe to say he probably had more than three children. Just a guess. However, it's also probably safe to say that when we read the words, my son, throughout the book of Proverbs, it would have been addressed to Rehoboam, who was set up to be Solomon's successor to the throne of his father David. As you read through Proverbs, you see long passages of wisdom addressed to my son. And often it comes across as a plea of Solomon, such as, my son, pay attention, in Proverbs 5, verses 1, and repeated in verse 7. Or Proverbs 6.20, which says, my son, keep your father's command and do not forsake your mother's teaching. There's that part about listen to your mother. Or Proverbs 7.24, which says, Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. As a parent of soon-to-be three young children, I can relate to Solomon repeating himself over and over and over again for his son to simply pay attention. You know what I'm talking about. And here's the great irony of reading Proverbs 22.6 as a promise instead of as a proverb. Rehoboam didn't listen, didn't pay attention. Instead of following the wisdom of his father, he listened to the foolish advice of his young advisors. 1 Kings chapter 12 tells us how he asked his father's advisors for wisdom and they gave him some good advice. And then he asked the younger advisors what he should do in the same situation and they gave him advice and he followed the younger advisors. And with that single decision, a kingdom was ripped apart. The supposedly wisest man in the world, King Solomon, had a prodigal son whose actions destroyed a kingdom. Now, before we judge Rehoboam too harshly, we have to go back a chapter to 1 Kings 11. And there we find out that for all his godly wisdom, in his old age, Solomon fell away from worshiping God. He was heavily influenced by his wives that had come from foreign lands and they brought their foreign gods with them and he didn't have the heart to make them stop worshiping them. And so he started worshiping them and fell away from the God of his father, David. So perhaps Rehoboam really did follow his father's unintentional training. Rehoboam became a prodigal son just as Solomon himself had become a prodigal from God. So if the wisest man in the world couldn't stay true to God, and the son of the wisest man in the world couldn't stay true to God, what hope do we have? 
I certainly don't claim to be the wisest person in the world. And what do we do with this proverb that feels a lot more like a broken promise? Several weeks ago, I was finishing up the last few chapters of the book that we studied in our Parents of Grace group this summer called Joining Jesus as a Family. Highly recommend. Of course, because I'm a parent, I had waited until Saturday night to do my reading. And just a quick note on Parents of Grace, if you're not sure what that is, it is an open group for parents of any age kids, from newborn to teenager to adults. That is the whole goal, is that we would rub shoulders and learn from each other with our kids being in different generations. So yes, if you have adult children, it's open for you. If you have teenagers, it's open for you. Um, so there's my little plug for Parents of Grace, and you'll hear about that more um, in the coming weeks as we kick off the fall. But back to my Saturday night reading. I'm finishing up the book, and I'm agreeing with a lot of what the author says. I'm kind of nodding my head going like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Oh, I really want to try this. Oh, I want to do this differently with my family. These are great ideas. This will be so great. It's always a prelude to not great things. <laughs> and I'm not quite done with the book when the kids get into a fight. And Tim is out mowing the lawn, so guess who gets to deal with the fight? So I break that up which induces a tantrum in one child. You'll notice in the story, I'm not gonna name them. So I deal with that meltdown for about 20 minutes. Felt like an eternity. And then I take a deep breath, I'm like, okay, everyone's calmed down. 10 minutes later, another fight breaks out. And this time, I'm like, you know what? I've dealt with one tantrum already. So this time, I leave Tim to deal with the tantrum child. And I go, and I'm going to start dealing with messy room child. Now, messy room child has to pack a suitcase. You could probably figure out which one it is by the laughter in the room. <laughs> she needs to pack a suitcase for a trip the next day. And I can't work in the mess. <laughs> I am just, I'm up to here. I can't do it. I get so fed up with the excuses about the mess that I actually give up and I go back to dealing with tantrum child. Because <laughs> I'm like, nope, can't deal with this mess. I'll go deal with the emotional mess instead. <laughs> and then we try getting everyone ready for bed and there's just more fighting, more whining, more complaining, more voices that I am done listening to for the night. And I just explode like a ticking time bomb and it's not pretty and my kid goes running away crying and I feel awful. And immediately after that, I went and I sat by myself in the living room and I just cried and cried and cried. And I thought about calling my own mom because I needed a parent in that moment. <laughs> The voices of guilt and shame just pounded through my head with endless questions. Why won't my kids listen to me? Where did I go wrong? What should I be doing differently? How did I end up in this place with a child who likes mess and another child who throws epic tantrums? And the hardest one of all, what am I doing bringing another child into this chaos. I'm supposed to be helping other parents teach their kids, and I can't even teach my own. And if I had to guess, 
I don't think I'm the only parent in this room who has asked themselves questions that sound a lot like that. But in that moment of guilt and shame and snot all over my face, another familiar, quieter voice whispered to me. And this is what he said. I have children who don't listen to me either. I have children who don't listen to me either. And that simple statement reminded me that I am not alone in my parenting journey, and neither are you. In that dark moment of doubt, I was reminded of Jesus weeping over his children. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. I don't know about you, but I take comfort in knowing that I'm not the only one who has children who would rather throw things at me than accept correction. Now, I realize that not all of us are parents, but we are all called to train and disciple the next generation in whatever role God has placed us in. Regardless of the role we play in training our children or supporting those who are training children, it can be too easy to fall into the trap of believing that Proverbs 22.6 is a promise instead of a proverb. But God's promise is not a checklist or a bargain or a negotiation. It's not a, if you do all the right things and do them well enough and train them to stay on the right path, I'll make sure they stay on it. That is an impossible standard. It's impossible for me. It was impossible for Solomon and Rehoboam. And it is not fair that we have put that impossible standard on so many parents. Instead, God promises to be with us, walking alongside us in this journey. No matter where life takes us or where life takes our children. The good news is that Jesus promised us, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And I am confident that to the end of the age could also be translated as when you've reached the end of your rope as a parent. I don't think the Greek says that, but that's my translation. In the car last Sunday, as we were on our way home from a family gathering, Lillian started singing the song, King of My Heart. I hadn't heard it in church in a while, and I think it was just stuck in her head. And she got to the bridge as she's singing, which says, you're never going to let, never going to let me down. And it repeats over and over again. So I got to thinking, and I said to her, what do you think those words mean? And at first, she wasn't sure, so I clarified. I said, well, what does it mean to let someone down? And she said, it means when you break a promise to someone. And I responded, so, does that mean God never breaks his promises? Now, based on her answer, 
I am pretty sure that I am raising a future lawyer because she very cautiously and judiciously answered, because she can kind of knows where I'm going with the Socratic method here, right? Asking the questions. And so she's kind of wiggling her way out of it and says, I don't think God makes promises, question mark. So I told her that God actually makes many promises all throughout the Bible. And he has never broken a single one. But then I took it one step further and I asked her, now, do you think that sometimes people feel like God has broken a promise and let them down? And she thought about that for a minute and she answered, yeah, people probably feel that way sometimes. Maybe because God answered them differently than what they were hoping for. So I used the example of how you know, sometimes dad or I will say no to something that she was hoping for a yes, but usually it's because we have a good reason. And the frustrating part to her is sometimes she doesn't get to know the reason. And that's why our relationship as parents and children has to be built on trust. Now, I want to interject a little story here about trust that I wasn't planning on, but our family was at the state fair on Friday. And if you've ever gone to the state fair with kids, you know how tiring that is. Um, I believe in the child leashes. My husband does not. So we don't use one. And yeah, so Tristan is bobbing and weaving his way around people and getting ahead and not paying attention. And there's people with scooters and strollers. And I'm like, his feet are going to get run over and I'm going to lose sight of him. And he's going everywhere. And by the end of the day, I said to Tim, I'm like, just once, just once, I wish he would have turned around and not seen us. Because he trusts too much. He trusts that we're always going to be there, and we will. But in that moment, I needed the fear of God in him. <laughs> Sometimes I think, as we watch our children grow up, and if they start to go down that path of a prodigal, I think sometimes they just need to learn that they've trusted you for a long time and now they kind of got to look back and realize how far away they've gotten. So if you're a parent of a prodigal, don't lose hope and let them know that you are going to be there when they turn around and realize they've gone too far ahead. They've gone down the wrong street. They've followed too many cracks in the pavement as Tristan was doing. Don't give up hope. Keep your eyes on them. Keep your prayers on them. In the same way, our relationship with our Heavenly Father has to be built on that trust. It cannot be built on a foundation of bargains or negotiation or an if-I-then-you transactional relationship. Now, there is nothing harder to trust God with than my children. And I'm sure many of you would agree. I see some heads nodding. It's not easy. But that's why it's so important to make sure we understand the difference between the wisdom of a proverb and the promises of God. If we don't, 
it becomes all too easy to lose our trust in him. And then we become the bitter, disillusioned prodigals ourselves, as Solomon did. Now, to be clear, just because Proverbs 22.6 isn't a promise doesn't mean we get to give up, wash our hands, and just kind of, you know, the next generation will figure things out. Just leave them on their own. They'll be okay. Nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus calls us to join him on our journey of being and making disciples. It's right in our mission statement. And that includes discipling our children. Discipleship and parenting aren't two separate categories. Sometimes people want to think of them differently, like, oh, I'm not discipling anybody because I don't have a mentor or a mentee kind of relationship. If you've got children, you're discipling. Parenting is just a term for a specific kind of disciple, your own children. And the wisdom of Proverbs is still true. Training children to walk on the path of faith is wise advice given to us in God's word. And that wise advice does call us to take intentional action. But we just need to remember the difference between the proverb and the promise. The promise is that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And that promise is just as true for you as it is for your children. Early on in our Parents of Grace study this summer, someone shared the statement, God has no grandchildren. And that hit me. God has no grandchildren because his promise for you as a child of God is the same promise he has given to your children as they are also his children. He is holding them. He is holding them. And you can hold on to him and hold on to his promises for you and every generation that follows after you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for your promise that you will never leave us, that you are walking alongside us, that when we stray and get too far ahead, that you are always there, just waiting, just waiting for us to turn around and find you again. Lord, I pray for all of us in the room who are raising children, and some of us are in the trenches with young children, and some of us are in the even deeper trenches with teenagers, and some of us have watched our children grow up and grow into faith, and others walking away. And you are holding each one of our hearts in all of those circumstances. Lord, I pray for healing, for comfort, for peace in our hearts in whatever path we find ourselves on this morning. And it's in the name of your holy and precious son, Jesus, whom you gave up for us to bring us safely home, that we can pray all these things. Amen.